the podcast where we discuss death, dying and the dead, honestly. I'm Savannah Murphy. And I'm Sean Devereaux. This first episode is just going to be about why we want to do the podcast and what we want to do with it. This is kind of the thing we talk about on our own, generally, yeah. in the evenings. Without... And we kind of thought rather narcissistically that you guys would probably want to listen as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a medical doctor, to give a bit of background. And I'm a death researcher from an anthropological, sociological basis. So I, I kind of have this medical take on things and actually see the dead and the dying at work. And I I guess I've worked with the dead through many different guises. So within the dead within museums, the dead within archaeological sites, the dead at medical schools as well. So I've seen the dead within many different guises. Yeah, yeah. And, and we do talk about it, don't we? Like um, the fact that you've kind of, you've got this overarching understanding and you can understand what I do in ways that I don't. Yeah. Because you can kind of see, oh, well, you're doing like, what do you call it? Emotional labor or something. <laughs> and you teach me all these new words for things that I've been doing for years that I'm like, oh yeah, I actually do that. And then I can tell you the sort of like, oh, well, no, that's Nitty that's not how that happens. Yeah, yeah, like, no, when someone dies, this is how you fill in the paperwork or... This is the sort of things that relatives say or people that are dying or faced with death say. Mm. Yes, I think together we have quite a unique take on things and we kind of bounce off each other and we understand what we do within our own little bubble quite differently through talking to each other about it. So hopefully that's something that we can talk about with you guys and hopefully make you think a little bit differently about things that you maybe haven't thought about before or things that you have thought a lot about but think about them differently oh and i will say before we get really into it and before i forget that yeah i'm a doctor but nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice and if i talk about patients i've changed all identifiable details and please don't report me to the gmc (laughs) and same for me as well um any participants that I talk about any sort of data that I might sort of bring up I guess from my previous research it's all anonymized and nothing specific to people or participants I think we've we've covered our own bombs significantly there (laughs) don't say us So that's the formalities out the way. So let's go on with the podcast. The interesting stuff. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Why we've wanted, are we doing it? <laughs> exactly. Well, we've wanted to do this for ages because we both think that we're both kind of really frustrated with how... People uh, don't bloody talk about death. <laughs> yeah, and, and like what death is in Western culture. And I mean, I I get so frustrated at work sometimes and I think you do as well professionally. Mm-hmm. And I, I think actually talking to our friends there seems to be a lot of kind of a lot of people that feel the same that mm. because death in the uk is this massive taboo mm. and the english are just about getting their heads around talking about sex openly <laughs> but sex and death are sort of two sides of the same yeah eros point, and thanatos and all that <laughs> yeah but um, yeah and we're sort of going into this idea of taboo a little bit more because I think it is more complicated than just saying it's taboo Mm. Um, because obviously we do see the dead in 
like every day really like on tv we see representations of of death and the dead and we see them within museums we you know we see them in the newspaper we see them all over we've got sugar skulls cookies and you know we have we have Alexander McQueen's scarves, <laughs> skulls yeah. everywhere. I mean, people are fascinated by the death. I mean, by death. I mean, there's this idea that, like, you know, I think there's this line from Ingmar Bergman's film The Seventh Seal that oh, a skull is more interesting than a naked woman. And the, the mm-hmm. idea that we're all mortal and that we're all going to die is kind of intrinsically, intuitively fascinating to everybody because mm-hmm. it's this great mystery and all that. We're not going to tackle that too much. Though. We're not going to go into like... <laughs> Don't think we can, can we? <laughs> yeah, get all philosophical. Yeah. But another, like, one of the things that I think we, we talk about a lot is the fact that people die all the time, but nobody ever really sees it. I mean, mm. I don't know about you, but before I went into medicine, actually coming across kind of fresh corpses mm. was was kind of unheard of or it didn't really happen mm. and then you suddenly like when you go to med school you're suddenly confronted with death and there's this grand i mean i i'd done a previous degree so i'd done kind of pro-section work and work with like bits of dead body basically that are preserved but do you want to explain what pro-section is yeah so pro-section's like instead of cutting up a dead body you get to just lift the flaps like a kid's book on somebody else's work. So dissecting is actually really hard. Mm. And um, to actually not make a complete mess of it, you have to be quite good because yeah. it all looks the same. Once you open it up, it nerves and veins and arteries just look exactly the same. Mm. So it's basically something that's been pre-prepared yeah. by an expert anatomist. Yeah, yeah. And, they'll, and they'll sort of clean it up really nicely and they'll put little pins in to mark yeah. important structures that you're supposed to be learning. So that's that's kind of how I started learning anatomy, and that was probably the first time I was ever really close to, yeah, to human remains. I mean, I'd seen skulls and bones and stuff before, but it's funny how you don't see human remains as skulls and bones and stuff because I feel like my first experience of seeing a a body, I guess, I guess you could call it a body, in 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 that way because it was a person, you know this this is someone's skeleton, it is someone's bones. And I think my first encounter was um, taking osteology at uni and being in a room with all of these boxes of, of bones and skulls. And, you know, I did I did feel like I was around people in, in a, I guess, a, a similar way to what you're describing. That's interesting because they do try quite hard in medicine to strip the cadavers of their personhood, yeah. I think. And they're very much like, oh, it's cadaver, you know, 8H, 4QZ or whatever. And mm. they've just got a number. Mm-hmm. And then every so often someone will have a bit of a weird moment. Like I remember working on an arm once and it still had nail varnish on mm-hmm. and it had quite like manicured nails. It must have been a, a woman's arm, I think, from the look of it as well. And uh, I remember one of the girls really didn't like that that you could tell that this person had nail varnish on and it started to grow out, it suddenly kind of brought it home that this yeah. used to be a person. It is those human factors when you when you are working with bodies in that way that does bring it back, like tattoos and um, you know, piercings or you, you, do, you do start thinking about, you know, why did that person decide to paint their nails red on, mm. on the day that they died or a couple of days before they died <laughs> and you start thinking about their life. Which yeah. Yeah, and that's a, an experience we've both got in common. I think what working with or seeing like 
bodies or cadavers mm. at anatomy units at med schools mm-hmm. and then i've kind of got on, on top of that i suppose you've got that the kind of the academic side of it and osteology and then i've got the kind of shop floor reality <laughs> of when people die because death mm. is kind of owned by the medical profession 50 mm. percent of people give or take die in hospital mm. and you you kind of need a doctor for that you can't uh there's a lot of stuff that has to happen when someone dies and it's not kind of like the old days or maybe like it is in other countries where death can be managed at home because one of the things we we always say is death is very much part of life it mm. should be it's the final chapter if if you can have a home birth why can't you have a home death because the worst thing that happen that could happen in a home birth is a lot worse than the worst thing that could happen in a home death <laughs> yeah. I mean, you put it like that <laughs> yeah it's not like yeah okay you know it, it might get a bit messy and you know you might start causing that person a little bit of suffering but it not not really it's not you know just keeping someone comfortable and at the end of the day if they are dying mm. you can't really do them any harm mm. yeah, and I, people are just scared of it and i think people send relatives and stuff to hospital to die which is fair enough and a lot of people don't want to be at home because they know what a burden it is and maybe they want to feel like they're looked after because i mean i think if you're dying and if it's kind of a drawn out process because you're dying of some chronic disease Mm. you do um you probably do want a medical profession around even if it's like a a palliative care nurse or something because i think things like symptom control like when someone dies in hospital, lots of things happen. And I think we'll probably talk about that in a later episode. Yeah, I think we do. It's quite a big issue, isn't yeah. it? We do need to sort of focus on the medicalisation of death and what it means to dying, die in hospital. Yeah, because there's all these... Care. Yeah, there's all this, this use of different drugs and medicines and needles and various mm. things. And I want to tell people what happens. Because mm. it's not that scary. And I think if you see it happening to a relative first time, it it is a bit weird, but... It's only weird because you haven't seen it before, isn't it? Because we don't talk about it. We don't actually know what happens. And I guess from my point of view, even though I've been around the the dead quite a lot, I don't really know that side of it. I don't really know the sort of medical side of what it is to die. Yeah, so that's that's only through talking to you that I know. That's yeah. That's one thing we'll talk about in a later podcast. Is like doctors and dying. Yeah. Not in a Harold Chipman kind of way, but in a, you know, <laughs> trying a to prevent benevolent kind of way. Kind of way. Or, well, this is the thing. Yeah, and, and preventing death. Exactly. You just hit the nail on the head yeah. out because we always talk about this. Yeah. Like the fight to like win cancer, the, the fight against cancer. Yeah, win or your like, cancer. Or just yeah. the idea that doctors are failing if a patient dies mm-hmm. and that they've somehow it, death is a failure of care it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. it's inevitable yeah. so you know a good death surely is a success if anything mm-hmm. if someone dies after a long life and they're comfortable mm-hmm. that's a doctor doing his or her job yeah yeah definitely yeah and i think there is a lot around being comfortable and this kind of people thinking they're a burden so maybe that is why they do tend to you know, die in hospital or die in care homes. <clears throat> there is this divide, I think, between what people think is a good death. And we, I think we're going to talk a bit more in another podcast about, um, not another podcast, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> we've only got one on the go at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, about what it is, 
what the good death means and and lots of different people have talked about the good death um, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think uh, yeah and, and the last thing i kind of want to say about death and, and medicine and the medicalization of death is this idea of the sanctity of life because mm-hmm. it's like a cultural thing as well isn't it that mm-hmm. in in the west we really think human life is sacred and that's kind of a fundamental tenant of like western philosophy and this kind of christian induced or christianity influenced ideas that we have that to take a human life is the worst thing you can do and it's the same in other abrahamic faiths i think mm-hmm. and different ideas but this idea that length of life is is really valuable mm-hmm. just as an end in itself whereas actually i go to work and like everyone i talk to whether they're nurses and doctors or whether they're just friends if you were 89 and you were so demented that you you couldn't even talk you couldn't recognize your own face you couldn't recognize anyone you'd ever loved mm-hmm. and you couldn't even get out of bed mm-hmm. you just lying there writhing around probably had no concept of the self or anything i mean a lot of what you are is gone at that point stage i mean you look at the brain scans and it's like a walnut rattling around inside a ping pong ball there's mm-hmm. there's not a lot there and you, you know they sort of they're not careful that you know you get covered in your own excrement it's, it's pretty grim and mm-hmm. if if you got to that stage like how many people would actually wanted to be want to be treated for pneumonia mm-hmm. by like a needle being their arm held down a needle put in it and antibiotics pumped in until the pneumonia is gone i guess it's hard to draw the line isn't it because i know like family members like my mum for example always says like if i ever get to that stage you know just i want it to end there but Obviously, that's a whole different issue about euthanasia and... and oh, yeah, that's that's different. The choice to end your life. But I think it's quite hard as a loved one, one, to see your loved one go through that, but also when to draw the line and say, this is the point that they wanted to... They wanted it to be over. Like, how do you even navigate that? It's so difficult. Yeah, I mean, what... <sighs> When I, when I talk about that, I'm not really talking about... I'm certainly not talking about active euthanasia, mm. which is, like, basically killing people when they're, you know, you think they're past it. Or I'm, I'm kind of talking about just sensible prioritisation of care so that you make someone comfortable, mm. but maybe you don't really aggressively treat the thing that's killing them because you're going to prolong their suffering. And I guess that kind of slips into, like, passive euthanasia but this anyway we need to part this because this is a whole new episode yeah yeah <laughs> we could probably talk about this for ages and i think as well like um i know we've talked quite a lot about dnar forms and oh yeah well respect um, forms as they are respect now. Forms, and that again yeah. that is in the whole that's in another episode about your your wishes and why it's important to make decisions yeah. before you have to and actually just understanding what those choices mean because i think a lot of people get confused about what actually happens and what that means yeah and like cpr yeah. this magic wand with george clooney touches your chest a couple yeah. of times and you sit up in bed yeah i think yeah because you i think you touched on a really good point there because media is a massive issue about you know why we why we think about death and dying so differently to what actually happens in reality and that's a major part of this podcast that we want to be honest about these things we don't want to sugarcoat it like the media does and I mean it's I guess it's a good thing that these things are out there and they do get people thinking about them in some way but it is maybe not so good 
that they're not as honest as they could be with these things. Yeah, the media, certainly from a medical point of view, the media has a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. No, I guess it's the same for me as well. Um, watching things like Bones or CSI and things, it's very different to forensic anthropology and practice. I, I do find it really hard, I don't know about you, but when I see it, someone on TV that's meant to be like just dead, mm. people that are just dead <laughs> yeah. have a real dead look to them Mm. like when i see people on tv crying over what's clearly just an actor lying still Mm -hmm. i I, I just can't buy it because the second you die you look totally different to Mm. someone that's alive and it is really hard to do that on tv i suspect but Mm. just like the color and the totally immobile you look like a statue yeah and i think yeah it's it's one of the things that people miss because people used to know what um the dead look like mm. and you look at like medieval art and stuff mm, they really didn't they <laughs> yeah and like all this like nasty stuff and like rotten skeletons and stuff with hair still on and mm. like people knew what we were made of and mm. i think that they're kind of getting away from our bodies as you know lumps of flesh that will die mm. they're you know they're this nice little lump of personhood that you can wrap up in nice clothes but at the end of the day kind of from the moment we're born we're dying at some speed or other and Mm. eventually all falls apart and you die and then people you know don't like what's inside you know people people don't understand about i i guess their body is just yeah Mm. sack of meat i don't know yeah i like i like that you said a lump of personhood i think that's really nice a nice way of describing a dead body um I think just thinking about the body donors, say people who have given their bodies to um, medical schools in the UK. Yeah, so this is like another topic. This is another episode we're going to do. Probably mix body donation and organ donation into one episode. Yeah, yeah. With a a big distinction that they are different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because that's something that gets confused quite a lot. Um, My PhD is around body donation and people always confuse body donation and organ donation. So that's definitely something that we want to clear up. Yeah, and it is something we'll talk about later because it's something people are interested in and it's something, Mm. I guess it's something quite cool you can do after you die, leave the gift of your body for Mm. medical students and stuff to be educated with Mm. or leave your organs for um if you if you're kind of relatively healthy when you die for transplant patients to get and you know you can't do both and we'll talk about that later but mm-hmm. you can donate your corneas can you oh well. i think logistically logistically it can be tricky but yeah yeah because obviously there's different timings um with organ donation and body donation um, and that's something that we'll talk about as well in more detail. And I think something else that you're interested in and like kind of something in your background is like museums and death and dying and stuff in museums. Because you, you talked about this a bit at the beginning, like human remains in museums. Yeah, yeah. Because they're out there, aren't they? <laughs> they are very much out there. Yeah, I think that's actually when people ask me why I got into doing death research that's what I always say because I think when I was younger going to museums and I was lucky enough to grow up in Oxford and I had Pitt Rivers Museum which has like amazing collection with all these like heads and stuff. Yeah, like 
I think, yeah, probably human remains and all these weird and wonderful mm. guises that you you wouldn't even think about. And, you know, from a skeleton or a mummy right through to a lock of hair and a Victorian mourning necklace. So there are human remains and all these different guises. I need to stop saying guises. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it, it's funny, like, We've been to museums before and we've seen like a mummy. Mm. And I always thought that was fascinating as a kid. I remember, mm. I think it was Birmingham or somewhere, and I saw like Ramesses the Great. Mm. At the time, I, I crushingly found out that this is a side effect of the way that the, the body had aged or, or pres- was preserved. But mm. I thought he was ginger and it made my day because I'm, <laughs> I'm ginger if you're listening and you've never met me. Yeah, sure. And I thought, I thought Ramesses the Great is ginger. Oh, we've, we've done stuff. But but no, it was just, just gingers. <laughs> it was just the way that he was preserved or aged mm. or whatever. But it was still cool seeing. It's, fu- it's funny how you uh, like related to him. That's then, probably isn't very it? morbid, child. But I bet you were. Well, so <laughs> yeah. I know you were. Yeah, yeah. But I think, and it was I think as well. It was someone. It was someone like I'd heard of, and actually seeing the body of someone made them real. And I was like, well, mm. you know, this this person lived and died thousands of years ago, and yet here I am looking at their mortal remains i thought that was pretty awesome as a kid Mm -hmm. do you Um, think it's something different to looking at a statue of absolutely yeah because that is the body that that's the vessel through which they experience that life Mm -hmm. that's the body that went and conquered you know went and fought the hittites or you Mm -hmm. know ruled or you know went to temple services in luxor or whatever it was And I just think that makes it so much more real. Even artifacts, I think, can can make history quite real. But to actually see the hand that held those artifacts, or mm. whatever, or the you know the neck that wore that jewelry on, or yeah. whatever, it's, that makes it super real. Yeah, and I I think that's interesting because there's such a difference between I think in the archaeology there's such a difference between human remains and grave goods because. Yeah. or like artifacts, I guess, in in that way, and and there's also a debate about you know, whether we would call human remains artefacts and where the line is, you know, talking about a lock of hair in, in uh, a morning locket and... Yeah, I, th- I thought that was an silly. an artefact? When, when human you, remains? When you... Because there's this, this whole law, like, governing human remains in a museum and there's the Human Tissue Authority, which, like, governs their display and you have to have a licence and stuff. But mm-hmm. if you've literally... If you've got a little museum and you've got, uh, you know, a, lo- a Victorian locket in with you know, a, a lock of lover's hair with, like, a little miniature portrait. Mm. You, that's it's human that. remains. Yeah. And, and I think it's weird, because, like, I always joke that, like, oh, if I put my toenail clippings in a museum, they'd be human remains. <laughs> and they, they technically would be, but it's mm. not... I, I guess, because it's me, uh, what I think is that, you know, hair is dead tissue, and it's it's never really been alive, so mm. how can you... I mean, you can you can make a shirt out of it if you wanted. Mm. Some, mm. some woman did, didn't she? She made, like, a dress out of her yeah. dead mum's hair or something weird. Well, I think she, she wanted to, didn't she? Because she was collecting... I think this was an article in the Daily Mail a couple of months yeah, like ago. Citation like in, needed, yeah. etc. She'd been collecting um, her, her mum's hair... Um, throughout the years running up to her passing and she wanted to recreate her mother's wedding dress um including the hair of her mother so I think she wanted to have like the trim of the dress and some of you know on the sleeves and things like that so it was this very 
real. Yeah, some might say art, others might say pathological grief. Well, but grief is complicated as well, which we will probably touch on. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some good podcasts about grief, and we won't step on their toes too much. Yeah, yeah, but, but... we as well, I think we'll um, we'll try and sort of direct you in the ways of, of podcasts that we listen to as well throughout. Yeah. So we want to kind of. Um, we want to fill the gaps, really. We don't want to step on anyone's toes. Um, but that's one of the reasons that we're doing this as well, because there isn't any podcast like this that's talking about death in this honest way from sort of a medical and from a sociological perspective. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to do one, like, talking about grief and stuff. When I talk about what it's like to die under medical care, I'm going to talk about everything from, you know, getting sick and sort of having the the concept that you might not get better and then the care of the dying patient when they and there's a decision that they're dying and that kind of what that means in terms of their care and then everything through to like what happens to the body and like breaking bad news after and how it's done i think that'll be quite interesting but that will be that'll be a, an episode that we'll definitely mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. and but, i think we should also say that we we want to get people on the podcast as well so we're gonna have like, oh, yeah, we're gonna have guests in in their field um yeah so obviously we can't be experts in everything and we can't cover everything um so where we can we're gonna invite friends of ours on and yeah. um colleagues of ours on because we do know quite a lot of different death people <laughs> yeah yeah i wanted to say something when we were talking about museums and, yeah. and death just to yeah. kind of go back kind of when when you see human remains in museums like what was really cool that you got me to do was not so much look at the the mm. exhibit look at people looking at the exhibit exactly <laughs> yeah. and you see someone like remember we saw a mummy in a museum and there was this family with a couple of kids and um, the kids were like you know mummy it's what's that mm. mummy mummy yeah <laughs> ironically a mummy they, they probably the kids weren't that posh but <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, like, mum, what's that? And they were like, that's the mummy, yeah. It's like a, it's a, you know, Egyptian thing or Egyptian person. And the kids were like, is that a real, is that a person? Mm. I can see a toe. Yeah. And, and the sort of, the mum or the dad was like, oh no, that's not real. And I, I thought like, like, what? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's. Because we just kind of take it for granted. Like, I guess we, we were both brought up going to museums and we never sort of questioned these things, but actually a lot of people don't think they're real and um some research that I've done before um on the Gunther von Hagen's body worlds where he where he shows plasticated bodies that was something that came up time and time again that people would come in they would look around and I would always overhear them not really believing that it's real even though it's very upfront in saying these are people that have donated their bodies these are hopefully humans (laughs) sorry Gunther (laughs) yeah yeah um and you know it's very upfront in saying that these are dead people and these are plastinated dead people but still people don't think of them as as dead people I don't know if it's because they're materialistic that the material is different because well, they're plastinated. Yeah, and they're so like a mummy. None of them look like people, you know, like a dried skeleton mm. and a plastinated, mm. you know, like sort of 
beautifully plastinated corpse or section of a corpse, mm. I think people never see the dead. Yeah. And when they do, it, like I say, it's like an actor lying still on TV. Or uh, okay, these days with like Game of Thrones and stuff, there's more like <laughs> it's more gore. Though, oh yeah, some fantastic deaths in that. Um, we and that. We like watching death. We do well. Yeah, we, we will. We may do an episode later on as well about death in the ancient world. And I have some really cool entries about um, ancient and medieval methods of execution and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Very morbid. Very interesting. <laughs> Actually, what happens when you use those sort of implements yeah, to or, kill or, a person? You know, did, did there have been papers that I've read and stuff? So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Weird hobbies coming to light. But yeah. Um, um, yeah, sort of going back to this, these bodies that are sort of materially different. I think because they're so far removed from us. You know, thinking about Egyptian mummies because. It's a society that was so many years ago and so far removed from us in Britain. And I think people just don't have that connection to to these individuals as people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess it's, it's similar as well with with skeletons because you don't know that person's name you don't know you don't really have any sort of um personhood connected to that skeleton we saw a a great exhibit a while ago didn't we Mm. in in leeds leeds yes it was called um skeletons our buried bones yeah and they, they had some really interesting skeletons with really interesting like signs of injury and illness and deformity Mm. in the bones and you could see them laid out like i guess like an osteologist would lay them out on an archaeologist and then um there was a picture behind each corpse or each each skeleton or whatever Mm. of of where the body was found so like it kind of put it into context of actually you could just be walking down the street and actually there are bodies under the street and it's it was literally it was like yeah just some some brick wall or you know mm. a quiet corner of a field or something mm-hmm. and uh, yeah there was no like tony robinson in sight or anything yeah. it was yeah so i think that way. exhibition was a, a combination of an exhibition that was put on with the welcome collections um skeletons and then um in combination with skeletons that the leeds collection had as well so actually because it was it was showing in these, so you could actually see where bodies were found in the local area as well. So that was, I think, probably connected with people thinking, oh, you know, I actually do walk down that street, yeah, and yeah. they did find a body there, and it's, here it is. <laughs> it's funny, like you think, you know, however many people have lived in human history, like I don't know, like ten billion or something. Mm. There's not that much space mm. that people live on regularly, like you know, places like like York or somewhere where people have lived yeah, in a yeah. good concentration for hundreds, if not, you know, over a thousand years, mm-hmm. there's got to be a lot of bodies there. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you think, like, you know, there are vast... So two-thirds of the Earth's surface is water, and then there, there's a big... There's big bits of the rest <laughs> of it that are like... one-third is skeletons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, where are they? It must be everywhere. Because yeah. you've got huge deserts and, you know, Antarctica and jungles and stuff where pretty much very few people have lived. Mm. So the the, pe- the places where people actually live, the uh, urban centres, they yeah, have been. Yeah. There must just be so many bodies. Yeah, yeah, 
Definitely. I'm surprised we don't just find skeletons in the park, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I I think sort of going off of that when um, the Crossrail line was being put in in London, mm. obviously London, there's bodies everywhere. Like mm. there's there are so many bodies because you've got this like layer cake of history of, you know, you've got these these layers of different eras and different bodies that have been um, buried in certain places. And obviously certain places are hot spots for bodies and you can dig right down and there'll be bodies throughout the layers. But they were finding so many different bodies there. Um, and I did a bit of research to do a crossrail and, and they actually had a public archaeology um, viewing platform there so hmm. it, it was it was open I think twice a week um, and they also did like an evening talk as well um, where the osteologists and archaeologists would talk about that week's find so it wasn't just um, skeletons it was other <clears throat> other artifacts as well um, and you know people were really interested but I think what I found was that there was a lot of people who were working around the local area that would, you know, go out on their lunch break and then they would go past this this display. So outside where you where you queued up to go into this public viewing platform, there was all this stuff on the outside that basically sort of said what they were excavating inside. And you couldn't see it from the outside if you were just walking along the street. Hmm. Um, so there were all these sort of boundaries and barriers. So even though death was right there, it was very much hidden. Yeah, it says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. But then you had these towering office blocks over because it was around Liverpool Street. And people obviously could see right in because, mm. you know, it's it's London. Well, and it's, like, this is it. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's like the way we used to, I guess, still do like sort of ardently cover every nipple and genital mm. in you know tv and, and stuff i mean mm. it's like it's just a it's just a skeleton i mean it's not even a, a dead body that's like looks gross there's nothing mm. gross about skeleton i mean maybe it reminds you of your own mortality yeah. if you're not really comfortable but people with that. do get grossed out though dry bones <laughs> but i think that's just because maybe we're like desensitized to skeletons in a way that is yeah. even more removed for us than seeing a fleshy body. I think certainly for me, I do view seeing a fleshy corpse very differently to when I see a skeleton. Yeah, it's I lost think. that bit more of personhood, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's not as... You know, skeletons are nice and clean. They're just kind of oh, dusty. I and I know they're not really clean. <laughs> yeah. They're just... They're different to to handling uh, a cadaver. Yeah, yeah. I, I always it, it's funny. It reminds me. I we, we don't X-ray kids a lot at work because the radiation. But if we ever do have to do like a chest X-ray of a kid, mm. I always look at the film and feign surprise and say to the kid, "Oh, you've got a skeleton in you." <laughs> and they always think that's funny. <laughs> If you ever had any kids that just totally freak out, like what? <laughs> nah, some the, the, to be honest, most of the time patients don't find my jokes funny unless they're on Entenox <laughs> laughing gas. So oh, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> we should give our listeners their laughing gas then. <laughs> yeah, or just fair warning. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think we we talked about a lot of things. Like we we talked about 
um, a lot of stuff that we're gonna talk about like the the reason we want to do this podcast mm. the fact that death is so much of a taboo and then death in different contexts like me as a doctor and death being owned a bit by the medical profession or at least the process of dying mm. Mm. and kind of the dead a bit as well because mm. like you know do you know where they keep the dead people in your city or town <laughs> you know yeah. it's all heading away and hush hush yeah and I think we've also touched upon the fact that it may not be as taboo as we, we think because we do actually see the dead and death in many different ways, maybe not realistically or honestly, but we do see it. And um, we've also touched upon body donation, organ donation. We've touched upon the dead within museums, within archaeological sites. And actually viewing the dead and what people think about about the dead and whether they think it's real, what their views on, on it as well. So guys, a lot of work goes into making podcasts, potentially. Not, not just from us, we just sit here and chat and buy a microphone and stuff. <laughs> but we've had a lot of help. So if you go on any of our Facebook and Twitter and stuff, you'll notice that we've got a really cool logo. Very cool logo. We bought a graphic designer, friend, some beers, and <laughs> it all worked out very well. So we'd like to say a big thank you to Tom Rees for our logo. And yeah, for our wonderful logo. Thank you very much, Tom. And we've also had a similar situation with um, the music. You'll notice that we have a nice cello introduction for those of you who are interested. Mm-hmm. It's a cello version of The Dance Macabre by Camille Sansen. And that was recorded very kindly live for us by Neil Skinner. Who can be found on his YouTube channel, Neil Skinner. And that's Neil spelled N-E-A-L in Skinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R. Yeah, but most people can spell Skinner, I suspect. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm dyslexic, so I, I would love that little help. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys, for tuning in and listening to our very first episode. And just to say that we can be found on our Twitter account at Dead Honest Pod, on our Facebook at Dead Honest Pod, on our Instagram account at Dead Honest Podcast, and you can email deadhonestpodcast at gmail.com. So get in touch. We want to hear from you. Yeah, let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know any topics that you are desperate for us to talk about, so... Thanks for listening. Until next time. (laughs) Bye.